Good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Join me as we read together our passage for today from 1 Samuel chapter 3, the whole chapter. It's so good, we had to do the whole thing. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning. And then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's no such thing as a dragon. It's the title of one of my favorite children's books, one that I read as a child and one that I've read to my kids. There's No Such Thing as a Dragon by Jack Kent, a picture storybook. It tells the story of Billy Bixby who wakes up one morning to a dragon in his room. Just a small thing about the size of a kitten. 
And Billy does what any kid would do when he sees a small dragon the size of a kitten in his room. He pats it on the head and runs down to tell mom. Mother says, there is no such thing as a dragon. And she says it like she means it. So Billy ignores the dragon because, and I quote, if there is no such thing as something, it's silly to pat it on the head. Shenanigans ensue in the story, and the more that they ignore the dragon, the bigger it becomes. And they do the silliest things, trying to live, this, live like this big, beneficent dragon is not filling their house. They're trying to live as if this big dragon doesn't exist. For a children's book, we're introduced to a pretty deep idea. Namely, that what we believe about reality shapes how we interact with it. For example, we might say, if there's no such thing as a living God, whose nature it is to communicate, then it would be pretty silly indeed to listen for him. Our story about Samuel today is an occasion for us to think about this main idea and its big implication. Here it is. God is a speaking God. He wants us to hear him. And he helps us so that we can. God is a speaking God. He wants us to hear him. And he helps us so that we can. So as we look at our story, let's step back just a moment and look at the context of this story in 1 Samuel. We tend to, if you have, uh, are familiar with different books of the Bible, we tend to associate 1 Samuel with the story of the kings that ensue, the story of the rise of Saul and David. But really, this, the book of Samuel, where we're at here in chapter 3, it has more to do with, it's more the context of Judges. And if you know anything about the book of Judges, you know that it's a story of cycles where God's people uh, go through hardship and they feel threat from without, usually from other nations. There is corruption, moral decline, faithlessness, and they cry out to the Lord. The Lord hears them, and he raises up for them a judge to lead them and to bring them back into a place of righteousness. And that cycle goes through the book of Judges. And Eli was one of those, the priest Eli was one of those people that God raised up. As is Samuel, but we're getting ahead. In this situation, what we're finding in Shiloh with Eli and Samuel, the threat hasn't just been from without, although the story in 1 Samuel does include the threat of the Philistines. What we see here in the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel is the threat from within. Eli and his sons are priests, and they oversee the sacrifices and the duties of the tent of meeting, uh, receiving and processing sacrifices and offerings, keeping lamps burning, bearing the responsibility for the ark. But they, especially Eli's sons, they scorn the sacrifice of God. They will uh, help themselves to the sacrifice, the meat being offered, and they'll take it for themselves before the offering is done. And when people who have come to worship God and bring their sacrifice, when they protest, then they are threatened. And yet these people who are intended to lead them in righteousness and holiness and worship these people have become a threat. The sons of Eli, they seduced the women who served at the entrance of the tent of, meaning, of tent of meeting. And so people, they felt that they needed to come and worship. It was right to come and worship. And yet the place of worship had become a threat. It had become an unsafe space. 
Eli saw what was happening. It's not that he didn't know. In fact, he chastised his sons and he warned them about their behavior, but he didn't use his authority to insist on justice. In our story, Samuel is young and he's tending the, tending the lamp. He's young, but he has responsibilities. He's not so young that he doesn't have responsibilities there in the tent of meeting. He is not yet influenced by the corruption of the sons of Eli or the moral weakness of Eli's leadership. And in the events of this story, in the big picture, the events of what we're reading here in 1 Samuel 3, they happen before the rise of the kings of Israel, but it's written after the rise of the kings of Israel. It's written, this story is written as a warning to those kings, to those people in power over Israel. So, in our story, God speaks. That's the heart of this passage. God speaks. And Samuel does end up listening. God is a speaking God. He wants us to hear him, and he helps us so that we can. And we see that in this, in this episode. If you were to read commentaries on this passage, they like to classify the kind of revelation that this is, the kind of vision that is seen here. And that's not a bad thing to do. There are uh, fascinating classifications of the kind of ways that God reveals himself to his people. But it would be too bad if we missed just this simple fact. God speaks. God is a speaking God. And when we're a church people, we can sometimes lose the weight of that, that the God of the universe speaks. He makes himself known. And notice in our story how God perseveres in being heard. He keeps speaking again and again. It's as if there's this crescendo happening through the narrative that at first he says Samuel, and then he says it again, and then he says it twice. He is going to be heard by Samuel. And isn't it interesting here that Samuel is able to hear the voice of God, but he doesn't know it's him. He can hear that he's being called, but he doesn't realize who's doing the calling. And I just want to pause here for a moment because this is an important dynamic that can be all too common. God is a God who speaks. The question is, do we know it? Do we believe it? Do we expect it? It's possible to hear and not to understand. Samuel's understanding of the world, were, of, of the world, despite being in the tent of meeting and among the people who were the religious leaders of the time, his understanding of the world didn't include as a plausible possibility that it was God who was speaking to him. It didn't include that possibility as a likelihood, even after Eli said multiple times, it's not me who's calling you. It's possible to hear and to not understand. In fact, it reminds me of that poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, where she says, Earth's crammed with heaven. Earth's crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Earth's crammed with heaven. God is a speaking God. And yet it's possible for us to hear the sound and not know it's him. 
Finally, in our story, we see that Samuel's able to listen because Eli, broken as he is, expands Samuel's notion of what's possible. He suggests to him the idea, it's God, and he uses the name of God, Yahweh. He says, it's the Lord. It isn't a generic term. It's not just a general reference to the divine. He says, the God of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, is the one who's speaking. When he speaks, say, speak, Yahweh. Your servant is listening. He opens up the possibilities for Samuel. And as we read in the text, Samuel then goes back and does just as Eli says. But how did it get this bad? How did it get this bad that the priest's sons would be so corrupt and abusive and the boy working for the priest wouldn't consider it a possibility that God would be speaking? What happened that things get that dark, that they can't see, that Samuel can't hear, though he hears? Well, the text says that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare that there were not many visions. So that's one part of the explanation. The word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. Meaning there weren't many of these prophetic uh, words coming from God to Israel. Does that mean that God's word wasn't there? That God couldn't be heard? That he wasn't speaking at this time? How did it get so bad? How did it get so bad when according to Deuteronomy 31.12, Moses, and this was way back before people even went into the land of Canaan where they reside now and have for generations. How did it get so bad when back in Deuteronomy 31.12, Moses commanded Israel to assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of the law. This was to be done every seven years so that they could listen to the word of the Lord and learn to fear him and follow him. Or how did it get so bad when the parents who were supposed to impress the commandments on their children, as told in Deuteronomy 6, 7, it says, talk about them, these commandments. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The leaders of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, were supposed to speak the word of the Lord to one another regularly. And the parents were supposed to speak about the word of the Lord all the time. So how did it get so bad? Sure, maybe there wasn't a prophetic, special prophetic word coming. Maybe the visions were rare at this time. It got so bad, though, in part, because people stopped speaking the word of the Lord to each other. What about today? Is this all Bible story stuff, or do things sometimes get this bad today? In the last couple of years, we've seen multiple news stories reporting on the corruption and abuse of power by notable leaders in the Christian church. And the slow slip of American churches characterized by toxic culture despite maintaining good programs and services has become, has become common enough that there has been research and a recent book published on this very topic, a church called Tove, Forming a Goodness Culture That Resists Abuses of Power and Promotes Healing by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. 
Or maybe on not such a large scale, maybe things in our own time can get like this. Like Samuel, we might find ourselves in a situation where we're pretty religious, but we're not keeping company with people who are characterized by humility and fear of the Lord. They aren't speaking the word of the Lord to us. Or maybe we're the ones who have dropped God from our conversation. The fact is, we can sometimes experience in different ways the same barren spiritual landscape that Samuel found himself in. Because God is a speaking God and he wants to be heard and he helps us so that we can. But sometimes it's hard to tell. But this is the good news. He is a speaking God. So what does God say when he speaks to Samuel? He speaks a word of judgment. And it's entirely reasonable for you to be saying, why on earth, right after Christmas, would someone want to preach about a passage, about a word of judgment? This is a, sort of a negative thing. But here's the good news. Judgment is ultimately a word of good news. Let's look. See, Eli's sons had blasphemed against God, and Eli had failed to restrain them. God speaks a hard word of judgment against Eli and his family. We can just step for a moment into how Samuel must have felt. He's not a grown man. He's not a very young child, but he's still a boy. I can imagine the high and the low of what he's feeling as he goes back to lay down. I'm sure not to sleep, but just to lay down. Perhaps he's thinking, God speaks. God speaks to me. And then also, this is bad. What am I going to say to Eli? The entire word that God speaks to Samuel, all of it, is about Eli, and it's a word of judgment. It's a special revelation given to Samuel, and it's about him. It establishes him as a prophet. It lets him know that he lives in a world in which God speaks and wants to be heard. But this word given to Samuel, it's for him, but it's not only for him. It was a word for Eli. And the prophecy about Eli and the sons and the judgment that God is going to uh, do it was about them and what's going to happen to them, but it's not only about them. It's a word of rescue for all those people who came to worship and found themselves oppressed by the people who were leading them. It's a word of hope, actually, for them. And this word was written in a scroll for kings. As an example to them, to instruct them in righteousness and righteous leadership. But it wasn't only about those kings either. It's a word about God's justice and his promise to do right in a world that's gone wrong. That's given to us. But it's not only for us. It's for the whole world. And this right here tells us something about the nature of the God who speaks. He gives a word and it is for us. But it's not only for us. It's not ever only for us. It's for the world. At Christmas, 
just a couple of days ago, we celebrated the coming of the Word of God, the Word of God incarnate. The celebration of a coming Savior, one who saves us from the things that are wrong and broken in the world, the one who makes them right, the one who sets things right. Perhaps we sang this verse from Joy to the World, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He, Christ, comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. God's word is for us. Jesus is for us. But not just for us, for the world. God's word has implications for our personal lives. But he wants us to be speakers of his word in his world. To proclaim the good news of the coming of Jesus to one another and to the world. The world needs to hear the good news. Even when it brings a word of judgment. Because that means that God is keeping his promises to make things right. And when Jesus came, lived, and as he was preparing his disciples before he died, he said, I have to go for one to come. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes to teach us in all truth, to remind us of the things that Jesus said, to remind us of the word of the Lord. And the Spirit is here with us now. He is the word of the Lord with us, Christ with us. Now this passage is meant to be a lesson to the kings of Israel. So let's let it be a lesson to us. Let's live in this reality. Maybe as we're heading into a new year and thinking about resolutions and there's so many good ones to have, let's think about this. Let's live in this reality that God is a speaking God. He wants us to hear him, and he helps us so that we can. Let's be like Eli in this way. Let's help others to hear what God has to say. Let's be a people who speak God's word to one another. Let's be that friend. Let's be that parent. Let's be that coworker. Let's be that neighbor who speaks the word of the Lord to one another. And let's be like Samuel. Let's believe that God is still a speaking God who wants to be heard. And let's come humbly to him and say, speak, Lord. I'm listening. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you are a God who speaks and that you want us to hear you speak. We're so grateful that you persevere in your communication with us. And that you've given us your word and scripture. You've given us your word and your son Jesus. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to teach us about your truth. Lord, we want to be a hearing people. Help us to notice you. To see you in your world. To listen for your voice. And help us to be courageous and faithful as a people of God who speak your word to one another and into our community and the world. 
We need to hear your word of hope, Lord. And even when it includes a word of judgment, we are encouraged to know that that is simply your promise to right what is wrong in the world. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.